Does that sound like dripping water to you? That's pretty good, actually, yeah. I'm ashamed to say that I learnt that from watching Rolf's Cartoon Club. God. I was, I was, when I was younger, I was thinking, I wanted to be in Rolf's Cartoon Club, but now, looking back, I'm like, thank God, I wasn't. Oh, yeah, I wanted to be on, um, oh, shit, Jim will fix it. Jim, could you, could you fix it for me to be scarred for life? I don't, I don't think he was anything like a serial or, uh, I don't know, yeah, like Savile was, was like a something all to himself, really, God knows. Ooh, I would love to see like a buddy cop show with Savile and Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> now then, Bill. <laughs> I think the murderers are in this orphanage. <laughs> I got to go look at this orphanage. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the very first episode of the Tom, Dick and Hyman Show, a weekly podcast where myself and my good friend Hyman Hello. take a look at the week that was and attempt to pass off our ill-educated cynicism as informed commentary. We'll be talking about current affairs, movies, books and the like and sharing our thoughts with you. What's Today, a book? No, I know. I'm setting the bar really low here. No, I'm setting the bar low here. No, you're right. You're right to fuck it up. That was a bad take. Fine. Take two. I know that's certainly what you were getting at. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the very first episode of the Tom, Dick and Hyman Show, a weekly podcast with myself and my good friend Hyman. Would everyone be upstanding for the bride and groom as well, the tone Tom is going for? I like the idea of a podcast that's all about just (laughs) intros. Just the intro. The intro to the intro. Will you just fucking up repeatedly? Can we begin again? <laughs> 45 minutes of YouTube. Right, here we go. Take, Take pause. <laughs> Stop. Welcome to the very first episode of the Tom, Dick and Hyman show, a weekly podcast with myself and my good friend Hyman. That is me. Take a look at the week that was and attempt to pass off our ill-educated cynicism as informed commentary. We'll be talking about current affairs, movies, books and the like, and sharing our thoughts with you. Today I'm happy to say we're joined by two of our friends, Tim and Cameron, and later we'll be talking about a movie Tim starred in, but first... Oh, that ginger-haired wanker. Oh. Is it ginger, though? It is. It's wispy. It's, it's, it's like gold. a... I believe the no, it's, it's candy floss-esque. It's like a gypsy made it. I, it wouldn't be... Say, it, I, it could be gold-plated, because it's just one firm, solid guinea pig making him look too pale. For his sake, I hope it's bulletproof. The people that people trying to shoot. <laughs> oh, he's like a Dick Tracy villain, then. <laughs> Terrorist threats already on the show. <laughs> no, he's he's trained the public well enough to know that they have to go through the apprentice schemes just to get an audience with him. But the thing, he is kind of bulletproof though, because everyone's been predicting that he's going to fall any moment now. No, he's Every never going to. He no, says something outrageous, he's going to go down. And it's he never just, does. it's another damning testimony towards the American political system. Americans do love an arsehole. You know what well, he is? Do. He's the living embodiment of like a rodeo clown. 
no one likes the clown, but then you see the bull chasing him around and you just want him to be oh, hit. He basically, he's just occupying a space, isn't, isn't he? It's like nature abhors a vacuum, so like, he's just there to, he, he's <laughs> and probably he's there just to fill in for like... it in. Yeah. What, he, he's like a lighthouse. There's a demand for well, No, he's, he's like, a, like, a, like a bug zapper thing, he's just bringing everyone close to it, but when they get too close, they realise, oh shit, it's going to burn me. No, I think Tim's right. There is there was a space left for an openly racist. Is he openly racist though? Wait, hold on. Is he openly Wait, racist? Wait, do, do you think in the American government there was like a, to an a open Eastern job... European lady? Yeah, but the Muslim thing and the Spanish, the Mexican thing. You know what he said? Like illegal. Yeah. He, he said. He said. Lazy he said. I think he was referring to like a, a legal, illegal people who were there. No, I he shouldn't be he there. He actually said, like, all Muslims. He's saying, uh, I believe the quote was, we have to stop immigration of all Muslims or from Muslim countries until we get a grip of this ISIS thing. From Muslim countries? I think that's what he said. Probably you from know, Muslim countries. You know, they come from Muslimistan. How can you tell what religion anyone is anyway, really? How can you take the bar- well, from the box? I'm, I'm, I'm a Satanist. No one's, just, <laughs> no one's ever challenged well, me on it. They're too scared, have a tendency though. tendency to always tell you what religion they belong to, don't they? How would you describe yourself, Hyman? I mean, I, as a Jew. <laughs> me? In small pieces, so salty it's good. Can't Fuck really you. Well <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. What did, what did you want me to say? You're gonna, like... I mean, to, to bring this back to Trump. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the main focus of the conversation. Right. What was the article uh, you were uh, reading that brought this up? Wait, 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 where was the article? Uh, which the which magazine? The Spectator. Which is a right-wing magazine, sorry. Like, not to be sorry. Either, okay. He's not, I mean, he's not really wait, is it a right-wing European or is it right-wing American? Oh, it's in English. He's a populist is what I'm trying to say about Trump. No, we've got to eat the Greens exactly first. Like, politics is basically dead. And what we have now is populism. Like, there's no political... What? Have an icon. <laughs> what political ideology does Trump follow other than... He's an I'm independent gonna, at yeah. heart, even though he is in the Republican Party. I think he's a liberal. Yeah, but he, the fact is he, has, he hasn't got as many lobbyists, I think. Cause, he is his own yeah. lobbyist. He's a billionaire. Well, yeah, yeah I'm just worried it's going to go the way of Yeah, Bush. but he's not using his own money. Yeah. Sure he is. No, no. He's, he's charging to get on stuff. I don't think he has what they call a super PAC or anything like that. But, yeah, he's got his own money. And I think I've recently come to the conclusion that if you put Hillary against Trump, Trump would win because he's got a golden gun that he could pull out. And a golden toupee. Well, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but maybe America is just is, is due a female president. Yeah, she because she, 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 she in 2008 and they got a black president. <laughs> 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 Do you remember people were so pissed off about that? There were a lot of Hillary supporters that were like, "Oh, we're leaving the Democrats because it was supposed to be Hillary's turn." <laughs> like, but you know? but the, just just those those words you use, her turn. Do you think that's how people view it? They yeah, as this is Hillary's turn, and maybe, but maybe that's why Trump has sort of stood out simply because he isn't part of the. Well, he's got a golden gun. He can say, Story. "Hey, look, Hillary, if I'm so bad, if I'm so evil, if I'm such a bastard, why do you keep taking my money?" What do you mean? And um, are you, you referring to sort of Bernie Sanders there? What, what, what he said? I think uh, he's got a better chance of beating Sachs. Trump than Hillary Clinton does. Just because, like, Bernie... Uh, Either way, it's very, Bernie, it's very polarised, isn't it? It's, it's, politics has got a lot more polarised. Oh, e- yeah, even yeah. over here, like... And, and over and over in this country as well. It's getting that way. Because you've got, like, someone at the far left leading Labour 
and the Tories have gone further to the right, and you've got newer parties like UKIP, which are also to the right. Well, the Tories are pretending to be liberals. But, but you could say they're more right-wing than when they were in coalition. Yeah, you had the Lib Dems tempering them. No, the Lib Dems so are the like rag say, doll they put in, they threw in no, front so of them. It's less centre-ground than they used to be. It's definitely more polarised in the way the public looks at it, especially if... Um, Why is that, though? Do you think it's because the issues are simpler? I've been saying... Or they're bigger? I've been saying since I was 16 years old. Which was... Britain becomes more and more like America every single day that goes by. We become more and more like the Americans. You know what? We as long as we're not like... like them, we act more and more like them. As long as we're not like the Italian government, I'm fine with that. At least they're kind of fun. Are kind of fun. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you're if you going to describe a government here, you're going to like, you know what? The first word that comes to mind, it's fun. This is why I like Trump to a certain extent. All right. It is through that. entertainment. Especially, did you see the thing? But it's politics. The three little girls doing their, like... It was like a kind of military. It was like... Half oh, wait, pop, the cheerleader thing. Military, yeah. Talking about like, no, I didn't watch it. But you, you, you say, like, how we're, we're getting the same, but our, our politics certainly isn't. Because um, I, I, uh, the, the biggest difference I always see between the US and the U- UK is, like, if uh, a presidential candidate, like, said he was an atheist... Never yeah, happened. He'd never get in, yeah? If a UK prime ministerial candidate started coming out and saying that he was praying to God every day and getting inspiration from God. Well, they get they say, off to the Yeah, but they say, thing. look, well, that, like, Tony, Tony Blair, Tony Blair was a, a, is a die-hard Catholic, yeah, and he, he had to tamp it down well, to get into politics. Well, obviously said, we, uh, we don't do God, referring to Labour Party, yeah. we don't do the God subject. In America, you, that would be suicide. Yeah. So that is suicide. A, but that's quite a big difference, isn't it? But we're polarised in the way people view politics. I think... Very much people have put their flag in the ground but, saying, I'm this or I'm that party and I'm dismissing offhand any but, contrary opinions. But culturally, we've always been like this. Us mm. versus them. And it, it, it's always been, you pick a side and then you fight for it. You, no one ever changes. I think there's been a certain level of pluralism. There used to be an understanding that your government representative, even if they weren't the party that you voted for, they still represent you. No... Oh, you want me to say more? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, this is just opinion now. <laughs> so if you could make a prediction... On the next election. On the next president. I think Trump might actually win. Really? Oh, right, yeah. I'm gonna I vote... think Bernie Sanders will actually take... I think Hillary will be... Left. Ousted? Yeah, well, not ousted, but... She'll, Vice president she'll presume visit. she's going to win, and then it'll be the shock upset that Bernie Sanders actually won. He's what what they call it, like a, a liberal with balls. Well, he's, he's just throwing everything, everything at the wall, all right? And, it, I mean, it's kind of comforting to know that uh, in American politics, because liberals have no balls at all. They are not even searching for the middle ground. They are declawed, de-anything, because left-wing is seen as socialism. And socialism is a no, no, nay say. Bernie openly is. He's one of the only American politicians, I think, who's openly... Socialist. He's he's not social. He's not a socialist. He's not a socialist revolutionary. He's not trying to start a Marxist revolution, but he's obviously in favour of um, well, a minimum wage and like tax and everything. Like, yeah, redistribution of wealth. Yeah, but he's doing what Trump does. He's doing what every good right wing politician does. You aim for the sky. You throw up. I'm going to promise you the world. Trump is obviously a populist. He's just saying things he thinks the American public wants to hear. And it turns out they actually do want to hear that. They want to hear about how Mexicans are lazy rapists, and they want to hear that Muslims aren't going to be getting into the country. 
quite like the idea of a lazy rapist. No, no, you take your own underwear off. I can't rape you right now. I'm having lunch. <laughs> 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 Two o'clock. It's siesta time. You later. <laughs> but when I hear when Donald Trump speaks, I don't get offended by him because most of the time I just tune it. Like he sounds like a hairdryer to me. Whenever he opens his mouth. But that's the problem. People do listen. It's as I said. It's like listening to the radio clown. There's humour in Trump if you take him ironically. But no one takes him ironically. He no, is... Americans take him seriously, yeah. That's the problem. I mean, I'm happy for him to carry on as long as he possibly can. I just want the Supreme Court to come to a judgment that says Donald Trump cannot be president of the United States. It's just not constitutional to allow... Wouldn't it be funny if it turns out he's Canadian and he's been hiding that for years? He was born in Kenya. <laughs> <laughs> There's also that that fellow Ted Cruz, isn't there? And they they were saying he might he's probably born in Canada. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh it gets god, very that confusing. fucking Todd. But I think, like... I think it'd be great if they opened up the presidency to to, to residents who were born elsewhere, because then we could finally get President Schwarzenegger. Exactly, that's exactly what would happen. You want your demolition man, well, don't you? Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. The Schwarzenegger. Like the Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but I could. I couldn't help but make the sweater for you. He was a fairly progressive uh, governor when he was governor of California, wasn't he? In, like, with the environmental thing. Considering he was yeah, elected on a Republican ticket, yeah, he was pretty actually... But anything, anything, a, anything in California, you're just staving off um, bankruptcy. Governor Schwarzenegger, his ascension in California, mm. that was all orchestrated by Ken Lay of uh, Enron. Yeah. Because they... I know, the, I know, got, I know the friends and they were friendly. Yeah, and Ken Lay was the one who convinced Arnold to run. And the reason he did that is because he was creating uh, artificial blackouts in California. Oh, yes. To get rid of the Democrat governor, whereby basically they were just shutting down nuclear power stations for the hell of it. Yeah, no, the the rolling blackouts, yeah. Yeah, and then, of course, the Democrat governor couldn't explain why uh, their total power output should have been easily sufficient, yet they were having blackouts. And then that's when Ken Lay went to Schwarzenegger, said, you should run for governor in California. And there was like some vote of uh, no confidence, and that's how Schwarzenegger got swept in. Hmm. Evil bastard that he is. Because Trump is obviously tapping into this uh, anti-immigration, anti-mass immigration, and that's obviously something that's resonating over here with the EU. Yeah, but no, we've got a very different take on immigration than they do over there. Right now, I wouldn't say so. We we've (laughs) they've got this. What's a good way of putting this? This encroaching storm. They're blocked off between two la- uh, two countries on either side, and there is always this fear of dripping. Yeah, it, it, it dripping away. This kind of uh, uh, ripping away what they fought for. Because American is a very much a we fought for this land. We fought very hard. There is kind of almost you know very imperialist if you look at actually taking away from the Native Americans and the actual Mexicans down below. Texas All the French belong- and English up in the north. Texas used to belong to Mexico, right? Yeah, Texas was Mexico. Most of California was Mexico and uh, Utah. But with the um, Syrian migrant crisis, yeah. we're not too far away from the Americans. Like, anti-mass immigration sentiments are growing in Europe. Yeah, but when we've got immigration like that, it's very different to it. It's it's people coming into... Uh, uh, it is literally a crisis of something coming to us. Yeah. Every immigration thing like that has been a, uh, a, a European or something fracas fight or war that's going on. So then there is an influx of people. 
But totally. do, you, do, do you think that the majority of them will return return home when the war's ending? When it comes to Syria, well, no. that's the most important thing, is that actually they do go back to Syria, because Syria needs them. But what about the ones who are fleeing from Turkey, all these poor people drowning? Well, this is um, Angela Merkel's made a, a deal with Turkey, hasn't now, she? Turkey can you? Can you? I, I feel really Europe. sorry for all the people who drown, but can you? Can you legitimately call them refugees? Refugees Chinese at that point, because they've already gone to a safe like, country, yeah. so they're not refugees from Turkey. Are they economic migrants then? But that, yeah, they, they, that's yeah. what the um, the old agreement. And, and, and agreement the thing was. is, and the thing is, just the sheer mass. It's 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 unfair on both sides. Like you've got some very small countries in Eastern Europe, like Macedonia and stuff. I couldn't handle. We only have stuff. like populations of a few million, and if you're getting regularly like ten thousand people every well, six Merkel, months, yeah. eventually. Because Angela Merkel was the one who said to Syrians, "Yeah, if you get to Germany, we'll take you. No matter, uh, automatically, we'll yeah. give you asylum." And so they started coming in in massive numbers. Yeah, it was hungry, a hungry, stupid PR spin. Yeah, Hungary couldn't cope with it, mm. and that's why now. Uh, the EU are debating whether they should actually suspend this agreement that the first country they arrive in is the country they should claim asylum in. And now they're favouring that we should all share the burden. But it's already had a massive effect, Europe. like, on Europe, you know, the Schengen yeah. thing. You know, a lot of the borders are sort of as good as closed now. Because I think Europeans have become a little bit embarrassed to be European. They've become a little bit too... No, what do you mean? How, how, but since when... ...ashamed of their values. But do you mean like European no, in, in the no, sense I don't since know what you mean by 1992 that. or whenever? I mean, what, the Yugoslavian thing and everything like started, that. You know, but what, what does being European mean? You know, but even, even for us... Technically it doesn't mean anything. I know what you, you mean. You know, we're but, an island, so it's... But there's a lot of Western European countries that will have shared values in terms of respect, uh, equal rights and respect for women, for one, yeah. which say sub-Saharan Africa, those countries don't really have that. You know, women are just chattel still in some parts of the world and they're coming into Europe and we're a little bit too embarrassed of ourselves to actually say no 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 no, no. you should live our way that's considered a little too racist well what do the Americans have themselves moving in don't they make them taking an American citizenship test yeah and of course they do the psychological thing of saying you are your original ethnicity dash American so like you're Bengali American you are African American yeah, I get it, yeah. They drive home that point that you are American. You're part of something bigger than you. Yeah, they're very. That comes a shared identity. Yeah, it's a nationalist concept. Yeah, but it's not necessarily white nationalist. No, it it is a nationalism. It is a civic nationalism. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Europe could have something like that, and it would be beneficial to have something like that. But too many Europeans think nationalism means white nationalism. Yeah, but yeah, just by itself, Europe Europe has has always had its own divisions anyway. Like. You've got the the British and the French, and that's love. You know, that's and, completely love hate. Yeah, but the cultures are so fuck you, Bree. So just between different countries and the rivalries, you know, between different nations as well. But after I think after the Second World War, we did get they to run a so point deep where there were some commonalities between the Western European nations, maybe the Northern Western European nations. And sort of similarities, but in terms of culture, I think they're talking as opposed to how they values. conduct themselves. I suppose it's inevitable ever since, you know, the advent of technology and travel's a lot easier and faster now. Medicine's a lot better, so you get bigger populations moving around the world more. It's it sort of inevitable. They call it globalisation, don't they? Homogenisation. But I think that's, that's my idea of um, a dystopian nightmare. What? You don't live, it's not that you live in squalor or anything like that. It's that you have no culture. Oh, it's very much uh, uh, like a, a communist block type thing. Yeah, Everything no, is drained of all colour. 
and there's no free expression. Mm-hmm. Like, like you, you asked earlier, Tim, like, what does it mean to be European? It doesn't really mean anything. Europe's just a landmass. It has individual countries that have their own cultures, their own histories, their own identities. But Europe itself is just a continent. It's just a landmass. So it doesn't mean anything to be European. Well, yeah, it's talking about physical as opposed to political ge- yeah, but geography. You, know, you hear people say, oh, I'm European first. Who 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 would I've say never that? Never heard that. Who would ever say You're that? I'm European. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm a European and I'm no, French. I, 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 <laughs> no, not French. The French would never do that. No one would, James. Maybe the Danish. Or Tom. Maybe the Danish. Simon. But your average uh, BBC Question Time audience member would say something like that. But that's not a normal oh, human being, that's is it? Question that's just Time. Like, question Time has comedians being? on it. Why the fuck do they have comedians on Question Time? To attract people who aren't really... Half the audience to, like, put there, aren't they? Some of them, yeah, definitely. Most well, of them, definitely. Finchley was definitely set up. They're George Galloway and, like, 500 Jews. Or <laughs> 500 Israelis and George Galloway <laughs> in the same building. Yeah, but he's a fucktard anyway. He's a whack job. Oh, he's a total white job. What was it? When he got in, was it? Uh, Bradford or Brad- Bethnal Green? Is it Bethnal Green? Yeah, when he got in, he basically kicked out the one Muslim. That's not, no, it was a black woman. That wasn't his fault, though. If he, got, if he won the election, you can't say, oh, he kicked him no. out. No, no, no. But he strategically picked a place where his bullshit for the past two years beforehand was kind of going like, oh, yeah, I'll vote for him. Yeah, sure. In Bradford, where he lost, he made this really, really vicious campaign against, I think it was Labour's uh, Shazna, where he accused her, she was part of an arranged marriage when she was 15, and he accused her of lying and tried to discredit her completely, like, attacked her character, saying, no, 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 your arranged marriage wasn't at 15, it was at 16, why are you lying? Like, he went on some really bizarre attack campaign against her. <laughs> and she turned around and like, no, it's like ordering a pizza, you just have to pick the right... <laughs> I bring it down. Do you wish? Should we order a pizza? I really want a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> leans towards staying in the EU but I can understand how you know the exit strategy does sound entirely like plausible um, but my mentality is that Britain acts as like a central hub for quite a lot of business that goes across in Europe and it's because of our affiliation or connection to Europe that these links are established and by removing ourselves from Europe will those business contacts somehow be jeopardised I think there's yeah. a bit of a danger of conflating the EU with Europe yeah, right. they're one and the same but do we not get certain luxuries or benefits from being a part of the European Union? Well, e- we have access to a single market. Yeah, yeah. and what economically and we still trade as much. Would that not damage our ties to European? You still have the demand. It yeah, would be. It would be basically like in the seventies when we opted into going into a single market. Yeah, that's what we thought it, the EU was. We thought it was just mm. a single market. We didn't realize there were other hang-ups to it. But I mean, look, what well, economically we still trade. Forty percent with America and Northern America, uh, another forty percent with Europe, and then the rest of it is the rest of the world. The other twenty percent. People keep asking, like, what would British exit look like? It would look exactly the same for people like us, day to day 
nothing would change at all. Everything would carry on exactly how it was. I mean... So, Cameron, you're favouring, you're leaning towards remaining Tim. What do I want to happen or what do I think will happen? If the referendum was tomorrow... (laughs) If the referendum... How would I vote? Yeah. If it was tomorrow, I'd I'd vote to leave. Because I think, obviously, there would be some disruption. But (laughs) if it doesn't work out, Europe would definitely take us back. It doesn't have to be forever, does it? I think they'd be very... So, as a man that's broken up with the many people, (laughs) you're like... They'd be they would. It. Yeah, but they'd still take us back. They need us. Not, not the first time. And the second time they would take us back. We just have to prove it hard enough. Buy a lot more brie. I think, I think but like you say, if, if tomorrow, I think people, some people vote emotionally. And when, when there's like, seems to be a lot of you know, trouble in the world, then people might make decisions that wouldn't normally yeah, the make. the migrant then. refugee crisis is weighing heavily on people's minds. Yeah, us. and people might, might see that leaving Europe would be an instant way of reducing the amount of migrants. So you still get a, a number. Just that might, might influence some people. Uh, but like I say, that might not be the best thing long term. For me, it's always put in terms of how but, would it affect the economy. And I think there would be a little downturn in the economy well, no, immediately after we... Some people, some people make a lot of money from it. Lawyers, bankers, you know, sure. playing the markets. You know, yeah, like the, yeah. the, the last... That film you I were mean, talking about earlier, what was it? The Big Short. Yeah, that was but that was based on people betting on something going yeah, down. I mean, guys who wasn't it? bankers who were betting against the economy. And so then the banks realised what they were doing. Yeah. And they started betting against yeah. the economy. So like like you say, if if, if there is going to be an inevitable downshift, then some people are going to profit from that. But is, and is it, is lawyers it, will be changing contracts, you know, just even just having to print out new letters to make a fortune. In, um, negotiating the exit. Yeah, true. I mean the physical handover or the physical move over. Actual, no, actual trade, like the price of uh, uh, import and export tax would go up. A little bit, marginally. No, marginally, but still, it would it would raise. It would, And the trade wouldn't just stop, because no, unfortunately, there's, there's, yeah, there's a difference between market and government. We're such a strong economy, European countries couldn't really afford to not trade with us. Mm. But guys, at, at the moment, it's it's just all conjecture, isn't it? Because they're, they're, they're talking about they could they could have the the vote in summer. I think they're saying, but, either or even twenty seventeen, March twenty seventeen. It would definitely be twenty seventeen because yeah. they haven't even set out. You know what you're talking about. They haven't actually set out the terms of there what is, of what a Brexit means. There's a standard oh. two year exit plan. Yeah, but they, but I bet you they might offer some sort of compromise. Quite I like think the Tories don't really. David Cameron doesn't really might be a total want exit. to be a referendum. He's heavily going to campaign to stay in. So I mean, yeah. I could I could foresee that it would take more than fifty one percent for like the leavers to win. It would have to be like at least sixty percent before anyone would even take the result of it seriously. I quite like the the and people PR would just campaign be asked of it. to go out and vote as well. That's that's always another factor. Yeah. People I, might have beliefs, but then when it actually comes to going out of their house, oof, and ticking the it's box, a little hot outside. I, I quite like the idea of the PR campaign of it. It's uh, going like a heat wave goodbye to Europe. I'm leaning towards out just because a lot of the arguments for staying in are terrible. No, the, the arguments are like, like why why rock the boat? No, even just the, the the three million jobs that would be lost. That's already been disproven. That figure. It's probably like. I mean, there's a hundred thousand in Euro Disney that would be disappeared because they'll just stop doing the English translation. It's more important than just the effect it would have on the economy. People as well. You have to, yeah. You have to consider: Do you want there to be a British culture 
in the future. We had the benefit of growing up knowing what it meant to be British, having a British identity. Culturally, you um, the problem with having a culture is you need to be cut off from other people. Uh, this homogenization of cultures has been around pretty much... Since the British Empire, when we were... Well, no, I mean, since the, since the 70s, when you're starting to open up to a common market, a, the, the concept of British has been being, er, yeah, being eroded since roughly around then. Yeah, globalisation, to me, it er- the cultural consequence yeah. of globalisation is so your it, indigenous culture gets eroded. Yeah, but it doesn't matter what happens nowadays, because we're already into a common market. But we, we grew up with the benefit still having some no. cultural heritage. No, no. We, we, no, we grew up with the the caricature version of what it was. We're the last generation that had that caricature version of what we could have had. Cartoonish bowler hat. Yeah. Cup of tea. Though, funnily enough, a lot of people who live in, say, Hong Kong or Australia or South Africa like that still have that idea of it. And there's still actually a few, a handful of people living like that now. Well... Yeah, I think this, um, I, there's no such thing as British identity, there's no such thing as British values. It's a very North London thing. But would you be happy if your kids and your grandkids, they grew up in a world where there's no such thing as Britishness? There's just European, European, being part of the EU. But I think, I think Britishness is quite interesting because it's almost in, in, entwined with, with the English language, which, which in itself is so prevalent. Can you, can you define moment. what it is to be British? Uh, no. <laughs> no, it's 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 hard to define it because it's very much to have a culture. I think is, is, is a buzzword that's thrown around, isn't it? I think I hate ne- that word. But I think nearly ne- yeah. all of us. I don't know. Speaking, you said you're Jewish, but I said it. I may not be. You might not be. <laughs> you know, the jury's out. But I, I'm I'm half English, half Irish. You know, mm. my my mother was born over here, but her parents were were from Ireland. That's the thing. For a long time, being British wasn't about uh, skin color. What about you? About are, you are you are you are you? It's about your are both your parents English? What breed are you? <laughs> what species? Scottish, yeah. Half Scottish, probably like quarter Irish. And English. Yeah. So, yeah. The son of a so, so, so even that, just on those, <laughs> these small islands, there's still that division, isn't there? That difference. Yeah, but that's what British are. Yeah, we're a mixture. I think, I think Britishness half is like fair play and things like that. You, half but I think we're losing sure. to a certain extent. Uh, no, see, he, and I think something more pieces, the migrant refugee crisis is exposed. We're losing we need other people. We've got a shit heap to Because we're not really jumping at the chance to take in the refugees. Yeah, because it's actually, you know... The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Like maybe deep down, taking in refugees is unfair on both sides. In the end, well, we'd be taking in. The <laughs> <laughs> it is though. Do you know what I mean? Short term, it might be good, but long term, you know, it's like cruel to be kind. Well, for the early days, we'd I don't be know because the, the very best and the brightest. Exactly. So you're, you're bringing a, you're you're draining the brains of all these yeah. countries. And so those all all the sort of developing nations need best people. But the if they're all but it, but if they're all like stuck in London. And driving Uber cabs, yeah, it's it's wasting the country's yeah. time, isn't it? It's selfish. We're just trying to um, uh, stave off the problem of our aging demographic. Mm, mm. Hyman, would you take in a, ref- a Syrian refugee? I would if I can name it, and I would name it. <laughs> name it. Name it. Exactly. Maybe it depends I'm... on like how gorgeous and pretty she is. You know. <laughs> 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 
Hello. I went straight. I was. See, I was. I was picturing getting exactly. like an orphan child there. Exactly. That a, I would a train up to man. be something. A twenty-eight-year-old man. They just go. Shouldn't he, shouldn't he be back home fighting, and, like doing his Rambo impression? British values. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. British values. I'm right. running over here. <laughs> Just because you're slightly poorer back there. <laughs> slightly. <laughs> Admittedly, you know, quite quite a few of these people fleeing are of, like, fighting age. And it is true, because it'd be horrible to be caught by ISIS and, like, murdered simply because you're a young man. They're sending back a lot of the young women that show up. Some young women will show up, but they'll say, no, you're too ugly. And then they send them back. What? <laughs> yeah, Where was that? <laughs> All right, time for a bit of movement. <laughs> And that rhymes, so you know it's true. So this week we went to go and see Ip Man 3. <laughs> exactly what I was going to do. <laughs> so this week the four the of us, so. <laughs> Ip Man 3. We'll talk us through what, so was, reason, uh, what is Ip Man. The reason the four of us are here doing this podcast is because we all went to see uh, Ip Man 3 you know, earlier in the week. The Donnie Yen Kung Fu film. The third and the worst of the Ip Man trilogy. <laughs> going to talk a little bit about um, what our thoughts of that movie was, Hyman. It was terrible. Oh my god, it was so goddamn bad. No, it's one of those movies that basically, when you don't feel anything, it kind of has this void of nothingness. The man, Donnie Yen, you said, is this featureless faced actor yeah, but I'm famous like in the autistic or something in the programs like. <laughs> they ask him something there'd be like a tangible two second pause and he'd look at them with this like goofy ass smile he oh yes dear okay he was obviously going for a very stoic pious yeah bordering on autistic yeah he, yeah, he looked like yeah that's yeah. <laughs> hello alright so okay so this is a continuation of <laughs> so this is a this is a con- us retard <laughs> <laughs> very tall wife <laughs> oh my very god there, there's a scene at the very end where they do these kind of flashbacks of his wife's mm. life every shot of it is uh, you're a lady you look beautiful you look to the screen ah cut to you're a lady you look beautiful you look to the screen yeah, like, oh my god she got to slap Donnie around the face it was my fault I deserved that <laughs> <laughs> I just hate it I just don't think he's a particularly good actor. He's a fine martial arts actor, but when it comes to acting, I don't think he's amazing. Like when he um, uh, had to cry at his wife's death, and he's like trying to force those tears, trying to force that Oscar, and it's just not coming. He's got <laughs> he's got the scrunched up face, he's got the mannerisms down, but there's no water. Right, it's for like those who don't know, Tim, it man, you, <laughs> might, you might be the one to fill us in a little bit here. Bit of background on it, man. IP man. Um, well, basically, it man was a, a grandmaster of Wing Chun. And uh, it was his style of Wing Chun in Hong Kong that spread from there and uh, popularised Wing Chun in the later half of the 20th century, mostly through his uh, association with Bruce Lee, who was a part-time student of his when Bruce Lee was in his late teens. Now, Wing Chun, that's the most... Wait, like an open university part-time student? No, no, he'd, he'd, he'd go and train with him. Uh, so he didn't get together with other people, kind of going like, this I think is he did, yeah, I'm sure he did, I'm sure he did in, in class. So he wouldn't just be one-on-one training. That'd be quite unusual, I think. And very Wing, expensive, too. Wing Chun is quite unique in Chinese Kung Fu, right? In the sense that there's not much 
There aren't any forms. There are. There's uh, three forms in Wing Chun. Oh, okay, got that completely wrong. Three empty-handed forms. Wasn't it uh, two weapons to, um, that you learn as well? For like a princess, so she could learn martial arts. No, there was the, a nun. The, the, the legend was it was invented by a Shaolin nun, and she taught it to a, a lady who was going to get forced into marrying this guy. And uh, the guy said, "If you can beat me in a fight, I won't marry you." Which <laughs> makes <laughs> a bit rapey, makes, makes good sense. <laughs> reverse, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, so, so, um, if you can beat me off, we're not getting yeah. married. Yeah. So, 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 the legend goes that she learnt Wing Chun and you know trounced this guy and married her, you know, a beloved and lived happy ever after. Is but that's probably not true. Wing, Wing Chun's probably just a it's stripped down, efficientized version of Shaolin. Something Shaolin. No, that it's it's. Um, I think the best description of Wing Chun it's it's a bit like a Formula One car where they've removed a lot of the extraneous forms and movements, mm. and uh, it's very simplified. It's fast to learn, and uh, obviously takes a long time to master. Because in the Ip Man movie series, <coughs> it's heavily implied that Wing Chun is the most superior Chinese martial art. Yeah, but that's that's rubbish, obviously, isn't it? There's nothing, no style superior. It's all to do with. Well, Bruce uh, Lee said uh, it you, depends on the martial artist. You weren't style. watching yeah, this movie. Apparently, obvious. it is yeah, the greatest. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah. it's, but it's it's gonna it's gonna say that it's gonna say yeah, that. It's got more to do with like it than the martial art itself because uh, one of his students in the third one uh, end up getting into a fight with like a couple of the gang members and gets his ass kicked ultimately. Whereas Ip Man himself is, you know, just kicking a hundred people's asses left, right. Lazily, lazily kicking people's faces. Like he's walking through daffodils. You're going like, hello, hello. I just like the punch soundtrack. The the impact, especially with the chain gun punch, is just like... It's like a nice thud each time. But it doesn't doesn't take away from the first time, the first film, where he's fighting the uh, karate. Yeah. Which is why I, which is why I um, agree with you, Hyman, and think that it was a real letdown. This film, because compared to number one, you know, the, the, the fights feel far less uh, kinetic and, and brutal. Basically, I, I see this as like a, a three quarters movie. Everything is only done in three quarters. You know, there's a, there's, there's a couple of plot lines that get left left hanging yeah, um, like the location oh, of his other son the action the, the action only goes three quarters you know it's like when um, when uh, Ip Man's contemporary the, the rickshaw driver he, he gets paid to, to beat up this guy you know you never see the, the end of that fight what happens he only you know they're fighting for a few seconds and well, he, he snap, his snaps arm, his arm yeah. and as then a final blow and it cuts away and um, you, you never see resolutions to the subplots you know there's like a brief romance between one of Ip Man's yeah, uh, he students and he, he asks this like nice looking girl out and that just goes plot. nowhere but they, they were they were sort of presented as quite important well, characters yeah. <laughs> well the, the story even, pretty even, much even ends mike halfway tyson. through even mike tyson you well, know mickey t outline, <laughs> for the benefit of the listeners let's just quickly outline what the basic plot is well it is a he's grand oh he is grandmaster yeah Essentially, he's like... Grandma. He's an established martial yeah. arts master. He's known as the, the master of Wing Chun. Yeah, arts. they're all bowing down to him and giving him... And he's living in shit. Hong Kong. Yeah. And a new Wing Chun master, an aspiring Wing Chun master... Yeah, on the quiet has arrived. He wants to replace Ip Man. Yeah, but everyone's just gushing master. over Ip Man everywhere. Which is, yeah, which is obviously fueling his yeah, desire. Yeah. And uh, at one point, Ip Man's wife, to try and add heart... Tension. ...and emotion and tension to the movie, she... But the thing about Hong Kong cinema is like the plot is never a No 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 Chinese cinema. Mm. Yeah, Hong Kong cinema is different. Yeah, maybe maybe twenty years ago, but 
you know, things should be things should have improved by now, really. Well, most Hong Kong kung fu films there, there's are about a, revenge. You killed my mother. He killed my brother. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> I want to fight you. You 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 could also call um, you know a film like Hero, a Hong Kong kung fu movie. That's fantastic with you yeah. know, great performances. Crouch and Tiger, Hidden Dragon. You know, they don't. These films don't need to be so one-dimensional. But Hero for me started an era of the epic kung fu film, which the... is more period drama based. And, uh, epic in the sense of like the set design and the costume design has to be kind of Hollywoodized. Whereas my favorite are the late eighties, early nineties kung fu films. Jackie Chan, Samuel Hung, yeah, Jackie Chan, Jet Li, Fist of Legends. But no, that, but that, but that, but that was basically <laughs> because. Um, <laughs> But I think that was basically because the the established sort of kung fu filmmakers took influences from Hollywood and the American style of films. Suddenly, um, whereas people were sort of horseback warriors, suddenly they were cops, you know, and gangsters, and they were wearing Western clothes. And police story was that police the story, first? and no, not really. They were, they, you know, there were, there were ones around that time as well. And obviously, Bruce Lee had had a lot to do with that as well. But, but even Bruce Lee, he was really an, an American import. You know, he came back there to make a success. And his big boss was the first Bruce Lee. Yeah. And he actually, um, yeah, there's yeah, a well-known rumour of Big Boss where he actually broke the jaw and yeah, he, he comatized oh. someone, Bruce Lee. Someone challenged Bruce Lee to a fight in the ice mm. factory yeah. and he actually like kicked them in the jaw and like put them in the hospital for a couple of weeks or something. Well, Jackie Chan was... Of it famously doesn't exist. Jackie Chan fought him in that film, didn't he? Or is it Jackie Chan was in Fist of Fury. He gets kicked. He's flying through the double doors. Back to it, man, though. You know, the, the, the main the sort of selling point of that movie was, was hopefully what? It was going to be a sort of satisfying end to a trilogy. Mm. But we didn't get that. We were going to have like a knockdown, drag out <laughs> fight between it, man, and Tyson. Oh, didn't really Tyson's deliver at all. acting in it. Oh, Mike Tyson should just give up trying to act. Can't know, even act himself, be himself in this. Does anyone know how he came to be in the film? How does Donnie Yen, what is their relationship? How does Iron Mike know Donnie Yen? What is, what is an icon of uh, one style of fighting? <laughs> uh, Mike Tyson, yeah, we'll get him. Yeah, but why would you randomly insert him into this film? Well, you can randomly set in Hong Kong. But that, that, just having him in it is the, the main attraction. I think so. it's to sell it to yeah. the West. But in, indeed, I think, I think the whole film was, was pitched completely differently to the, the first two Whip Men. It man, it man, it man. Um, like I said, it was it was a lot less brutal and violent. I think they were going for a lower rating or a younger or wider audience. Oh, it's, it's got this kind of wistfulness with the father son type thing. The kids' involvement at the very start of this, like it's all very childish, just to fight. We're all very philosophical about how we fight. Yeah, I think the only person who dies in the film is his wife, <laughs> which is unusual. For, obviously, in martial by arts, by Western films, things, by Western yeah, illnesses. Not even one punch. <laughs> well, no, yeah, but you know, there, there wasn't there wasn't any sort of big bad guy to be beaten. He has There's this no he has this he has this three minute sparring match mm. with Mike Tyson. I say sparring match because neither of them get that badly injured. And, yeah, but I think at the end, and then they just go their separate ways like nothing's happened. He, he fights he fights an assassin off who you know he's and he lets the assassin. And go like maybe what are they, are they showing that he's such a high that level martial artist? Oh, he doesn't need to hurt people. <laughs> Which one? The Thai assassin. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That was not someone else. But I think when uh, Tyson fought uh, Danielle in that one, um, Tyson came off the stronger one. Because if you think about it, it was there was a three minute limit, and basically, if Danielle could survive for those three minutes, that's how it felt. Okay, that's definitely so. Danielle didn't really prove himself as equal. He proved, yeah, I can survive for three minutes, (laughs) implying that if it went on longer, he'd have his ass. He went there to take vengeance on the fact that Mike Tyson sent the Thai guy to murder him and his wife. Yeah. 
and then he just walked away after three minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah and also, and also, try year. and try and burn down a school. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not worth kid, anything until they get to school. <laughs> kidnap children and going to send them into slavery. Okay, he might say it was his subordinates' idea, but it's it's still his operation. No, the uh, the the Thai guy as well. Like that's such a. I mean, the whole movie is like a, almost a comment on other for other other countries' form of filmmaking. Like the Thai guy is basically it man and Chinese filmmakers kind of going on back and all the the Taiwanese fighting. That's really big now, isn't it? Yeah. But our stuff is better. Tony Tyson, Tyson, yeah. Yeah, Tyson. Oh, well, he's a Western fighter, but you know what? Uh, Wing Chun is the uh, dominant style of fighting, and Wing Chun equals China. China is the dominant form of that. But I don't even really think the Chinese believe that now, themselves in China. They're all into MMA as well now. No, they love that guy, the bald-headed Shaolin guy. Do they? Uh, is his name, like, Ip Long or something? Yeah. But what what I mean is there's there's yeah, like young young Chinese they'll they'll equally be interested in learning jujitsu or Thai boxing yeah, as as opposed to to learning you know old old older styles and yeah. yeah it's true the internet has changed martial arts traditional martial arts have taken a beating but again this is a yeah. this is a Chinese film it's a Chinese media it goes through all their senses it has to be it's like when the new kung fu panda comes out it's <laughs> it's all gonna be this sedate piece of shit which is gonna meet uh, the, the approval level of the government of saying what can and can't be said disparaging either chinese or chinese culture the number one thing you judge a kung fu film by is the choreography the and choreography is all right but that it wasn't nearly as good as Hitman 1 or well, 2. He's an old man! This is, what, how many years on since the first Hitman film? Ex- except he didn't look an old man at all, did he? Well, he did to a Botox. degree. He looked older than he did in the first... Well, no, if he really wanted to... Age. If he wanted to look... <laughs> some you see, they look the same and you get to yeah. a point, it's just like... But at that point of history, Hitman, I think, was, was, was bald, you know. He was like a bald old man. And Donnie Yen still has a full head of hair and a tan. But... Even even that, if you if you look at the storyline progression from the first, second, and third films, it's got to be a good number of years on since the events of him kicking the entirety of China's, uh, the, the entirety of Japan's military arts. It's gone from I think late thirties to early fifties. Oh, yeah. Is Ip Man the master that Bruce Lee is burying in Fist of Fury? No, that's a made up. Oh no, it's not a made up film. Um, I can't remember the name. It's names a really now. famous story. Because I always thought that was the tie-in. Was that? No, no, no. The tie-in to Bruce Lee was that Ip Man was the guy. It, it Man died in the 60s. Tim, you know more than just the history of uh, Kung Fu movies. You're also in one, aren't you? Yeah, I've done I've done a few um, sort of independent, low-budget martial art films in the last... How did you get into that? How did you start off? Um, around about 2001, one of my friends um, produced and directed a film, um, a short film up in Blackpool, the French fries on the golden front and I, I initially went along just to help and ended up being a grip assistant basically helping lay, lay the track of the like camera a <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, it's like, it's like, like mate, you it's sort of like a fluffer for a camera oh, yeah. you're, you're laying down like the tracks that the camera goes and it was, it was really good fun it was great sort of like if ever you get a chance to help out making a film you know do it because it's such a fun collaborative thing to, to do really um, so where did you? So I was in Blackpool, and I was I was doing the, being the grip assistant, and then one of the scenes was um, in the ballroom of Blackpool, and they had to have um, this guy playing the Wurlitzer, the big famous organ there, 
and uh, they basically needed me to fill in for him so I'd put on the jacket and sort of sat my back to the camera pretending to play the organ did you uh, did got... you actually have a little flutter on it yeah but it was switched off ah, it was switched off not no. to touch it but yeah you do you do give them a chance but, <laughs> but then I had such good, good fun doing that after that ended I thought oh you know I'd really like to sort of help out doing a film again and um I saw an advert on a website. Shooting people. Shooting people, yeah. This was, um, and I went along for an audition in Houston, and um, it was for a kung, uh, it was for a short kung fu film called Kung Fu or Play, where it was like yeah. um, two guys fighting this lady in a in a park somewhere, and we get our asses kicked. Um, but yeah, so, so I got the part, and then from there. Um, you just start meeting people and doing Wait. little projects, and every project I've done since then has been like through people I've known. Really, I've, I, I don't really have an agent or so advertiser look for stuff. I just... the, the the movie you just mentioned was it Kung Fu or Fun? Kung Fu Foreplay. Kung Fu Foreplay. No, Kung Foreplay. Kung Foreplay. Furore, you know, like Furore, F U O R E. Oh, that's the word. Yeah, Kung Kung Okay. I didn't write the title. How? How much leeway did the director give you to uh, play about with this? What in the first film? In in, in the fight in the fighting in the, in the very the, first one. Yeah, in the very first one. Um, the director was also the other martial artist in the film. Ah, okay. So he he really did a lion's share of the choreography so and ideas. But obviously, it becomes apparent when you do these sort of things that you just find out what 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 people are good at and what, what they can do and you let them do what they're best at and don't force them to do stuff that they're bad at. So, so it's, it, it, it's always a, there's always a big collaborative aspect to it but you know in terms of the actual fights how he wanted them to start and end and particular moves he wanted to get in he, he suggested so I had to try and adapt myself was to Was there that. much preparation work? Did you just uh, start I think I can't remember. It's a long time ago now. Um, or, or when you go to any movies, how much preparation do you put in? It, it depends. Well, for myself, I'm, I'm always I'm always doing like a bit of practice just to keep in shape every day. But um, if if I know I have a film coming up, I'll, I'll concentrate on a particular area or more if I know that's what I'm going to be doing. You've got to get your crescent kicks. Exactly. exactly right. Just just stretch basically. When did you start your martial arts training? Well, the first one I ever did was a, a judo class. When I was eight, that was it was. I didn't really like it. Though, so I didn't hang around there. But my um, my grandfather on my mother's side, he was a, like a bit of a boxer when he was younger. So he taught me the basic punches: jab, cross, hook. So you were saying, as a choreographer, you learn with uh, learn what people are good at and individual yeah. Yeah. movies. Have you noticed you're getting better or you're perfecting one type of style more? Or well, it's always one, better. One certain I, it, move? It, 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 it depends. It's, um, it's, it, there's always that thing of it's in terms of why you learn in martial arts. Now, I like doing films and I like just keeping fit and stuff and just practicing in, in itself is fun. But I always think, you know, martial arts, really, if you're going to call yourself a martial artist, you, it has to be able to work. It's like a, a parachute. What's the point of having a parachute if it doesn't stop, stop you from hitting hit the ground, you know? So, like, it's good to, to concentrate on a few things and get very good at them so you could actually fight and defend yourself rather than try and just do thousands of things mediocre because I think ultimately you've, you've got to be able to beat people but, but, but so like I say but I still practice all the high kicks and jumping and more unusual moves because I like doing that and because when you do films you know they're much more visually interesting than just a right cross so did you go the, the route of judo karate wing chun taekwondo oh. and then from taekwondo I got into this the one that I sort of really got into 
when I was a teenager was something called a Choi Quang Do, which now it's like You're a real... that one up. Na, no, na, now it's a real sort of dojo franchise bullshit, I think, apparently. Like but back then it was, it was that the people were really quite serious. And my, my first teacher was a lady and she was really good. Um, and, you know, it was an external martial art. So you had to get the movements down perfectly to be able to generate the power. And it was incredible to watch her. The, it really showed to me that if you, if, you, if you do do these things correctly, you know, the human body can generate a lot of force, even if you're quite small. And then when I was about 20, that's when I started um, learning Wing Chun. And that got me into Chinese martial arts and Tai Chi, Bagua, Jingyi, and also lots of Qigong as well. Since then, I haven't looked back. Were martial arts movies of the 80s and 90s a big source of inspiration to you, like Jean-Claude? Van Damme. Uh, Bruce Lee, definitely Van Damme. And obviously Steven Seagal. Mm. Uh, his early movies are fantastically entertaining. The fighting is great. I don't know what happened to him though. He really you know, went downhill. He I did remember that. him slapping people unconscious. I've been very impressed by that as a teenager. Yeah. I remember he, him driving a tank artist. into uh, the wrong house on his Cops TV program. <laughs> My understanding, there's a, a transition between fighter and stunt fight where sometimes it's the there's a problem not a problem but there's a there's a a wall between follow through where where oh, well, where you you, you have to almost stop physically partway through the moves yeah fi- which, which you've learned yeah fi- physically it's it, it's it's almost completely different but just as challenging in some aspects it's it's harder than real fighting mm, I mean it, well, in terms of in terms of um, having to pull your punches mm. so obviously natural fighting you 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 want to follow through the target you know after you hit it you want to impale it you know. And, and and also in 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 real fighting, you'll it will look more sloppy. I mean, the one thing you don't practice is getting punched. How to how of course sell not. a punch? Yeah, exactly. Because that that's the other the other sort of art that a lot of people don't appreciate is you could you could be the best person in the world kicking and punching. You might pull off a fantastic move, but if the guy you're doing it on doesn't react properly, you you'll look rubbish. So the last film that you worked on was called Nightfall. Yeah, yeah, very exciting project actually. Give and us a breakdown of what Nightfall is. And what okay, it's about. Um, Nightfall is hopefully going to be a, a feature-length film, um, a sort of medieval action fantasy. I, the director described it to me as the Princess Bride meets the Evil Dead. <laughs> so you've got um, yes, these okay. these three hero knights who are because originally I was only going to play a werewolf. <laughs> Only a werewolf. Only a werewolf. But then I was also, I also said I'd do the choreography for the film as well. Doubly interesting to me because normally I'd be just choreographing my own fights, but now I had a chance to be given this sort of human playset of people where I can just tell them what to do and off they go. And that was really rewarding, um, choreographing fights that I wasn't (laughs) directly involved in physically. And of course, uh, the introduction of a lot of weapons. Again, most of the stuff I'd done was being barehanded martial arts. So to introduce, you know, this variety of medieval weapons like long swords knives broadswords uh so you're saying it's a combination it's like a, a fantasy fighter type thing yeah. you're taking fighters from different backgrounds different times no 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 it's 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 sort of a futuristic it's not like it's sort of it's like a contemporary medieval it's got a very unusual look actually um if you get a chance to see some of the costume pictures um it doesn't look like a it doesn't look like it's set in the past it's like as if the medieval age has lasted to today or in sort of like armored hoodies anyway so who's the protagonist? Who's the well? The, you, you, you've got three hero knights, and they're 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 escorting slash. They've got her chained up, so she's like kidnapped. Basically, this princess through this evil forest. She's pregnant with a child, but basically they wanted to make a make a film. They assembled a great team of people, uh, and then they realised that 
the ambition was actually outstripping their budget. So they've decided that they want to make, they want to have more money to, to make this film. So they went off, I was there for four days down in Wiltshire and they shot something called a proof of concept trailer, which is basically a full quality trailer as if it was a proper film and also a few select scenes and sequences, all yeah, shot as if it was a full film. They'll, they'll, they'll show that to producers. I mean, what's the average budget projects that you've worked on? These are micro-budget movies. Yeah, um, probably around £10,000 mark, I'd say. So not, not a small amount, but certainly not enough for like a cinematic release. What's the experience like of showing up on, on a set? Like I said, it's a really enjoyable thing because everyone's there because they want to be, unlike a lot of, you know, different jobs where people work together. And um, everyone there is creative in their own ways. You get very artistic people. Um, you know, it's just a really rewarding thing to do because you also have an end product at the end. You, you come out with like a little film which you can come back to years later and it will sort of bring back all the memories of the nice times uh, you had on set. <laughs> Tired. Well, all that remains for me to say is uh, thank you, Tim. Thank you. Thank you, Cameron. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> from and myself. Thank you very much for listening to the very first episode of the Top Deck and Hyman Show. We will see you again next week. <laughs>